Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. <laughs> Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable. Settle in. Turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. <laughs> Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> The first story for tonight is by Ben Pinar, entitled Fair Trade. Gareth stood under an awning watching the crowded street. Each narrow sidewalk and every shop seemed to have people moving all about, careless of the bad weather. It rang as odd to him that no one attempted to share the space under the awning, let alone even look his direction. In lighter weather, Gareth might have steeled himself and re-entered the fray. He had a lot of shopping left to do, after all. But right when he stuck his foot out, ready to walk, 
a fresh downpour followed a terrifying peal of thunder. Without another thought, Gareth turned and pushed through the tiny door for no other reason than to hide from the miserable day. Maria could wait an hour more for groceries. Hello, sir, a voice said from somewhere behind him. Gareth turned away from the storm and looked into the shop, surprised by the appearance. The whole place was incredibly narrow, and when he thought of it, he was amazed that it managed to fit between Finnegan's family restaurant and Benny's butchery in the first place. In fact, Gareth had never noticed the shop before. Once he got past the initial feeling of being cramped, he realized he couldn't quite tell what the store sold, or for that matter, who had spoken. Two shelves ran the length of it, and as Gareth walked between them, he saw they were filled with nothing but certificates and trophies. They represented all kinds of achievements, from swimming tournaments to chess championships, and strangely enough, marriage and birth certificates. Forgeries, Gareth whispered to himself. What was that, sir? By then he was far enough into the shop to see a small desk at the far end of the room, and a little man sitting behind it. The man was one of those odd people full of contradictions, young but with a face full of wrinkles. He appeared stick-like, but sat with a straight back and held a steady gaze. Gareth, who was over six feet tall, already felt smaller than the man. As he approached the desk, he stuck his hands deep into his coat pockets. Hello. Hello, the man replied. I notice you're looking at my achievements. Gareth raised his eyebrows. Your... He looked around and back to the man. Oh, yes, I see. I really only came in for shelter, you know. Although I didn't... I mean, I don't think that it was legal to have a shop like this right out in the open. It's a very reputable street. The man laughed and stood. They shook hands. His skin was dry and hot to Gareth's touch. My name is Daniel Sanvils, and while those are indeed my achievements, they are also not forgeries, he winked. However, they do not necessarily belong to me. I see, they are yours, but they don't belong to you. Gareth was beginning to wonder whether the man was all there. Was the rain coming down outside? He turned to check, but was drawn back to the man speaking. I think I can help you with your problems, Mr. Cameron, Gareth said. Gareth Cameron. Um, whose problems exactly? The man shrugged, laughed, and waved his hand across the many objects in front of him. Air, pick an achievement, any of them. Gareth stared at the different items. After a moment, he had a half-smile creep across his face. He grew worried, but the fellow didn't seem much of a threat. Suddenly, a watch stole Gareth's attention. He found himself leaning in, fast. Everything else might be a forgery, but that certainly isn't, he thought. All right, then, Gareth said. What's your deal? What is it you sell? It was very curious how he made his living. Daniel Sanvils beamed as though he'd been paid a generous compliment. Well, Mr. Cameron, 
I'll do what anyone with a good product does. I'll show instead of tell. If you like what you see, you can choose to buy or walk away. Although, he added, leaning over the desk, between you and me, you'll buy. I'd bet on it. I see, Garrett said. As far as he could tell, it was a forgery business. And in that case, it was madness to associate with fake goods. Imagine a lawyer, of all people, being caught in such a place. But there was no one around, and he was curious. He nodded. Excellent, Daniel said. He turned and opened a rickety door to his right and entered without so much as a glance to see if Gareth followed. Gareth looked over his shoulder, but the people outside continued to walk right by the shop without a single cursory glance. He had a feeling the place didn't get much business despite the big shelves of achievements. He followed the man through the door. The room held nothing in the way of furniture except a wooden desk in the middle with a chair on either side. The wall opposite was hidden behind a brown curtain, and the wall to the right held more shelves of certificates and trophies. Those are my more prized possessions, Daniel said, making his way around the desk. Daniel opened the top drawer, took out a single die and a silver coin. He laid them down in front of Gareth, grinning. Uh, I'm not quite sure I see, said Gareth. Then I'll put it as simply as I can, Daniel said. You give me something, and I give something to you. We can start by flipping the coin, or if you're suspicious, you can use one from your pocket. Gareth reached into his pocket and drew a coin. This? Yes, whatever. Now, that's a normal coin, so if you flip it ten times, roughly five will come out heads and five tails, correct? Yes, uh, I'd say so. Now, I'm telling you, if you give me something, I can make it land tails every time, or heads, if you prefer. And it only needs to be a small something, since I'm only giving you a small something in return. Understand? I think so, Garrett said, hesitantly. What exactly do you want from me to do this magic trick? A fingernail. A fingernail? Anyone will do, your pinky even. I don't see how that will... No, I'm sure you don't, Mr. Cameron, but that wasn't the agreement, was it? Well, Gareth thought, it's only a fingernail after all. Okay, it's a deal, he said at last. Daniel drew a pair of nail scissors from the same drawer. Allow me. Gareth put his hand forward warily, and Daniel snipped the fingernail with practiced ease. He caught the tiny crescent in midair and then dropped the clippers back into his desk. Go on then, Mr. Cameron. Ten times, all tails. Gareth raised his eyebrows and flipped the coin once, twice, three times. All tails. He checked beneath the desk for some kind of magnet and found nothing but rotted wood. Gareth flipped his coin again four, five, six, seven more times. He flipped it differently each time, but it always came up tails. He checked to see if Daniel had somehow exchanged it for a two-sided coin and was disappointed. On the eleventh flip, it came up heads. Impossible. All thoughts of getting groceries and returning home to his wife were gone. Daniel laughed. What about the dice? Gareth inquired. 
Ah, well, that will require the rest of your fingernails, I think. Say, to land uh, six, ten times in a row. Gareth could barely believe his ears, but out came the scissors and away went his nails. Ten times the die landed on six. By the time the final die settled, Gareth felt like a man in a dream. It was, of course, a brilliant magic trick. It's a trick, then, isn't it? Daniel sighed. We can go on all day, Mr. Cameron. You can bring me dice or coins of your own, but then we do it with your toenails. You can have the room analyzed for devices if you like, or the easiest way. We could bring up the stakes to the point where faking is impossible. Like what? You tell me. You name me something you want, and I will make it happen if you pay the price. And what exactly is the price based on? Gain. The more that is gained, the more that is lost. Ah. Gareth looked around the dusty room for ideas and found none. Then at last it came to him. My groceries, he said. Make them appear right here, everything on the list. As he spoke, his hand delved into his pocket, found the list, and scrunched it up as though he were afraid Daniel might read it through his coat. Daniel simply nodded, and his eyes rolled up for a minute, as if calculating a few minor equations. Hmm. Yes, a good choice. Impossible to fake, but without too much gain. I think I will need the tip of any extremity. Your choice. And only the very tip, you understand. Almost nothing at all. Gareth put his hand on the table. This would be the final experiment, and if it didn't work... Well, he thought the tip of a finger would be worth it for the show he'd been given, bizarre as it was. Daniel whipped a scalpel from his coat pocket and took hold of Gareth's pinky. Gareth forced himself to watch, resisting the urge to pull away. Daniel whipped the scalpel through the end of his finger with frightening speed. Gareth pulled back his hand and clutched it, waiting for the instant of pain to pass. A shiny oval of blood sat where his fingerprint used to be. Well, I suppose that wasn't so bad. Daniel gestured behind Gareth. For a moment, Gareth didn't want to turn around. He was certain there was nothing there. He'd been tricked by a sadistic madman. And who's to say Daniel wouldn't attack him as soon as he turned his head? But he turned, and the groceries were there in a neat pile of plastic bags just by the door. Breathless, he pulled his shopping list from his coat pocket and touched every item while Daniel chuckled. When Gareth was done, he shook so badly he fell back into the seat. He didn't dare take his eyes from the bags, as though they might disappear at any moment. "'Are you satisfied, Mr. Cameron?' Daniel said with only the slightest hint of impatience present in his voice. Now, Gareth understood the shelves in the front of the shop. They were achievements bought from this man. He must have copied them as a way to advertise. Or, perhaps, he thought, so a customer could walk the shelves, choose an achievement, and buy it using a piece of himself. Gareth's mind reeled with the possibilities. The potential of what he could accomplish became overwhelming. That's it, he thought. I have it. My whole life, everything I've ever wanted, it can all be mine. 
In a strange ecstasy, Gareth took off his left shoe and sock, leaned back in the chair, and slammed his foot on the table. "'What can I get for these?' he asked, wiggling his toes. Daniel threw his head back and clapped his hands, laughing with seemingly genuine amusement. "'Now we're talking my language, sir!' He stood up and walked over to the brown curtain. In one easy motion, Daniel swept the curtain aside. Garth saw a surgeon's armory hanging, from pliers to cleavers, razors to bone saws, everything one would need to dismantle a human body into a thousand pieces. For a second, Garth felt terrified, but then he remembered that this was a business deal. The man had honored everything thus far, and while he wanted his payment, what it was was bizarre, and no one could say he hadn't delivered. Daniel took something from the wall that looked like a brand new pair of hedge clippers. He set the clippers on the table and folded his hands in front of him, smiling widely. Yes, Daniel said. There is plenty you could get with the toes on this foot, and plenty more with the whole foot. But it is better, I think, if you name your want and then I name my price. Gareth noticed how clean and new the tool seemed, gleaming in the room's dim light. Ah, all right then, Gareth said, his mind spinning with ideas. It should be something decent, he thought, something worth toes. You must keep in mind, Mr. Cameron, that I have been quite lenient with my prices so far. Not too much. But do not think you can make your life perfect with a hand or a foot. Yes, of course, Gareth nodded. It was sensible, after all. Didn't all salesmen do that? A test drive before you paid for the real thing? I would like to win the lottery, he said, slowly, knowing he was pushing his luck. The biggest one in the world, the biggest jackpot, I mean, whatever it is. Daniel grinned and nodded thoughtfully. This I can do if I take all of your toes. Gareth stared. His heart beat so hard he could feel a vein throbbing near his big toe. All of them? he asked. Yes, but the largest lottery in the world that is in America, full of taxes. You would do better to take the English lottery. It will be easier to claim your prize, and the money you get is still 160 million pounds tax-free. That's 16 million pounds per toe. Daniel watched him patiently. The silence dragged on. Gareth turned and looked from the piles of shopping bags back to the man. I'll do it, he said, almost whispering. No sooner had he said the words did three of his toes disappear, and the pain struck him like an iron club. He fell from his chair, but Daniel kept one impossibly strong hand on his ankle as he worked his way down his foot. The blades cut through the last two toes an instant before the clippers snipped shut. A terrible popping noise accompanied the departure of each, followed by the soft clicks of them landing on the wooden floor. Gareth squeezed his eyes shut and let out a scream that must have rattled the front windows. In his agony, he forgot that he'd promised Daniel another five toes. Daniel didn't bother to take off Gareth's right shoe, but instead he walked around the table and cut right through it severing all five toes in a straight line and taking a good part of his foot as well. 
All of it fell onto the floor, a chunk of flesh and blood mingled with leather and fabric. For a long time, Daniel did nothing but roll on the floor and scream. He blacked out once, and when he came to, he threw up. As the pain became more manageable, he opened his eyes and focused on Daniel standing over him, chuckling. His face shined from a thin sheen of sweat. Ah, now that was something, Mr. Cameron. You won't regret it, I promise you. With that pledge, he took out a long rectangle of paper and pressed it into Garrett's hand, his shaking hand, a lottery ticket. You now hold the winning numbers for next week's jackpot, sir. Congratulations. Aye, good God. Let me out of here. Let me out. Gareth clutched his ticket and crawled towards the doorway. Don't forget your groceries, Daniel called after him. Gareth wiped his mouth and attempted to stand. The absence of toes made it difficult to keep his balance. He noticed the trail of blood behind him, but the flow seemed to slow down surprisingly fast. He managed to drag his groceries all the way out the front door, but received no help from the sly and sharply dressed salesman. When Gareth glanced over his shoulder, Daniel was nowhere to be found. Gareth won the lottery the following Monday night, which was a good thing because the first thing he'd done after he returned with the groceries was leave his wife. He wanted to do it for years, and oh, was it sweet seeing her sour face turn to gaping surprise. That moment was enough to pay him back for every evil word and threat she had ever heaped upon him. For nearly two weeks, Garrett laughed about his good fortune. Using crutches to help him hobble on his toeless feet, the pain hardly bothered him at all. And people stared at him, yes, but he knew it wasn't the disability, it was the money. Already he'd received phone calls from people he'd never met claiming to be long-lost relatives. He quit his job, telling all his co-workers what he thought of them. He purchased a mansion on the edge of town. His new wardrobe consisted of nothing but $10,000 suits. His new car cost more than what most people pay for their homes. He purchased everything he ever wanted and lived the life he had always dreamed. But Gareth still was not happy. All he could think about was the weedy little man in the shop and what he still had to offer. Eventually, desire got the better of him, and he decided to go back to see Daniel Samville's. Oh, Mr. Cameron, Daniel said, welcoming him with open arms. I was afraid you'd never return. You left so unhappily last time, you see, and I was a little afraid that I'd maybe given you too much. I've been thinking about you a lot, actually, Gareth said, shaking Daniel's hand. Is that so? Daniel asked. Well, why don't you sit and we can talk about it? It wasn't long before they struck a new deal. Gareth gave a kidney for an IQ of 200, his entire right arm for an extra life, and his left eye and ear for the ability to understand, speak, and write every language. Next, he gave his teeth for the ability to charm any woman he wanted. That one was particularly painful. The worst part of the entire process was the enjoyment Daniel seemed to have while working with pliers. He shrieked with laughter all the while, dancing around a half-conscious girth. He spent most of his left leg on 
eternal wealth and gave his right for the ability to fly. Who needs legs when you could fly anyway? That one, Daniel told him, would take three days to take effect, just like the language skills and irresistible charm. They were all powerful abilities, he explained, so it would take some time. At last, Gareth had enough. Daniel propped him up in the far corner of the room, his right side, what was left of it, pressed up against the window. Blood pooled everywhere, but still he felt fine. That, Daniel assured him, was part of the deal. You felt the pain, but the damage quickly healed. Dead customers are not likely to come back, after all, Daniel smiled. Gareth suffered plenty of pain, and with each throb of agony, he knew he made the right choice. Nothing in the world could stop him. His life was made. In a matter of weeks, he would become the most powerful man alive, the richest, and the most charismatic. He watched Daniel wipe the bloody tools clean and placed them back behind the brown curtain, humming as he went. When he finished, he walked over to Gareth and shook his left hand heartily. Well, Mr. Cameron, he said, it's been excellent doing business with you. Three days from now, the more extreme of your requests will be granted, but the others you possess as of this very second. Gareth grinned back at Daniel, fresh blood streaming down his chin. Thank you, Mr. Sanvils. Can't wait. What Daniel didn't know was that Gareth was going to have most of what he'd lost replaced with expensive modern devices. And then what had he really lost? Even arms and legs could be replaced with machines. Yes, yes, it will be brilliant, Daniel agreed. Just be patient. Here, you can rest in my shop until the effects come into play. Just sleep a while, and when you wake, the world will be yours. Gareth smiled gratefully, muttered another thank you, then fell fast asleep. He dreamed he traveled the earth, rich and famous. He experienced every delicacy, every adventure that the world had to offer— he dreamed of becoming a president, of stopping wars, and of becoming a legend. When he woke, he saw a long rectangle of gray sky above him. He sat up with much difficulty, using his stump to push himself against the wall. On either side were two moldy walls, an alleyway. Gareth frowned. It was all very well if Mr. Samvilles hadn't wanted him lying in his shop but had he really had to dump him like trash? He crawled like a lopsided tortoise to the end of the alleyway, disgusted by his surroundings. Mold and garbage, he thought as he pushed along. All he needed was to flag down a taxi and get back to his mansion. Lucky, all of the bleeding had stopped and his wounds proved to be healed. But when he reached the pavement, he realized that no taxi would pick him up in his current state. Everyone who saw him crossed the road or completely turned around and walked the other way. Gareth tried asking a man for help, but his lack of teeth rendered the words incomprehensible. The other man stared ahead and walked past, but not before dropping a few coins at his feet. Fool, Gareth thought. I'm infinitely rich, not a damn beggar. When he turned back to the alleyway, his heart nearly stopped. Benny's butchery sat on one side, and Finnegan's family restaurant on the other. He was right where Mr. Samuels had left him. Only the shop had vanished. Gareth wondered how long he'd been asleep. 
obviously less than three days since he couldn't fly yet. He still had infinite wealth, a second life, and an IQ of 200. He just needed to get back to his mansion. But no one would help him. For three days, he kept to the alleyway, begging and snatching the discard from Benny's and Finnegan's dumpsters and wanting for his powers to arrive. His mind traveled to the things he would do when he received what he had paid for. The first step would be having a shower, then a good meal. Then he'd charm a woman or two. The thought made him laugh. The third day came to an end. So did the fourth. And then the fifth. The truth settled in and he began to beg in earnest. Gareth remained in the alley, waiting for Daniel Samvilles to come back and give him what he was owed. If you paid him enough coin and had a good ear for his toothless speech, you might hear a decent story in return. It's not a likely story, maybe, but it's a good one, and it even has a moral. Quit while you're ahead, Gareth would say. A few fingers or O's and then Eve forever. If you can do that, the world can be yours. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight's second story is by Thomas O. Wagner, entitled The Seer of Possibilities. Sometimes, otherworldly beings find interesting ways to try and contact you. They might capitalize on your use of an Ouija board, or maybe come to you in a dream, or sometimes they speak through another person. They each have their own style and preference that's particular to them. The one who contacted Jack spoke to him through his computer, or more accurately, you could say the communication was through on-screen text. The first time it happened, Jack had been sitting at his computer playing solitaire. A blinking red light from the router indicated that his internet connection was down again. And this was at least a weekly occurrence, and Jack was getting used to this spotty internet service. As he moved his cards, the game faded into a solid black screen, and the red text appeared. Hi, Jack. I need a favor from you. You're a very special person, and I know you'll help me. I can't ask this of just anyone. I really need your help. Jack paused for a second. The router light was still blinking red. 
He couldn't help but wonder if he was on the receiving end of some sort of joke. Several moments later, the message continued. Yes, Jack, I, I know this is weird for you, but I don't want you to worry. This is just a small, easy favor I need. I'll make sure you're rewarded. Now, nearly in a panic, Jack reached around and pulled the internet cable completely from the wall. Still here, Jack. I don't want to waste any more of your time, so I'll get right to what I need. Tomorrow, when you go to work, I need you to move the large potted plant that's next to the elevator on the ground floor. All you have to do is pull it out three inches from the wall. If you do it at 8.17 a.m., nobody else will be in the area. Jack sat there, refusing to respond, still trying to figure out what was happening. The writing continued. Look, Jack, I'm asking you because I know you'll do it. You won't let me down. You're special. We'll talk tomorrow. Jack pulled the power cord from the wall and the computer went blank. For a moment, he wondered if what he had just witnessed really happened. Still shaking from the experience, he took a warm shower and got ready for bed, all the while trying to convince himself that he'd either had some crazy dream or that he was indeed the victim of some elaborate joke. But he wondered who would play that kind of joke on him. He didn't really have any friends or enemies to speak of. He woke up the next morning feeling refreshed. Work started at 8.30 a.m., and Jack was never late. Each day he pulled into the parking lot at 8.10 a.m. Normally he'd just go right in, but the message had told him to move the plant at 8.17 a.m. Was he really going to do it? Overnight, Jack's fear had become curiosity. In the event he did as he was told and moved the plant, he wouldn't technically be doing anything wrong or illegal. Therefore, in Jack's mind, the most reasonable course of action was to move the plant. He'd do it, nothing would happen, and he'd be able to put this whole crazy matter behind him. One minute before 8.17... Jack left his car and walked toward the building. He entered the foyer at the exact time he was supposed to. The message was right. No one else was around. Jack found this odd, as the building was normally busy this time of morning, but this temporary lull had been accurately predicted. Fine, let's see what happens, Jack muttered to himself. He walked up to the large potted plant placed firmly between the two elevators, in the lobby of the ten-story building. The plant looked like it was fake, a decoration people passed every day without really noticing. It was heavier than Jack realized. He put some might into his effort and pulled the plant out three inches to his best estimate. He stood back and looked at the plant, then looked around the lobby. People were coming in behind him now, and the lobby was starting to fill up. Nobody seemed to notice that the plant was in a slightly different location. Nobody seemed different at all. Jack skipped the next elevator and waited. Waited for... something. But nothing happened. Finally, Jack entered the elevator and made it to his seventh floor cubicle, on time, like always. If you ever ask Jack's co-workers to describe him... 
you'd hear words like polite, quiet, respectful, and competent. While those words were all accurate, they gave little indication of the truth, which was that Jack really didn't like most people. That's not to say he disliked them. Rather, he had very little interest in getting to know them or being their friend. All save for one. Allie, the girl who sat two cubicles down from him, was the only person he wanted to know more about. With her big smile, blonde hair, and beautiful figure, Jack was very interested in learning all about her. Despite his lack of success with women in the past, he was actually doing a fair job getting to know her. Every morning as he passed her cubicle, he'd stop for a chat. The chats were one minute at first, then two minutes, then several minutes. Jack was surprised that she actually seemed to like him. On this particular morning, their daily conversation lasted only a couple of minutes. As they exchanged their morning greetings and talked about Allie's wild night out, the elevator doors opened up behind them. Out hobbled James Bentley, their boss. One moment later, everyone in the office was startled to hear Bentley shouting and cursing in pain. Ow! My foot! he shouted. Allie was quick to inquire. Oh my gosh, what happened, Mr. Bentley? It's that plant they have in the lobby. I ran into it and twisted my ankle. Mr. Bentley, sir, you can barely walk, came Allie's concerned reply. You need to go to the hospital. Can't do it now. I have meetings all day. Too important to cancel. I'll just have to tough it out. Jack, feeling stunned, left Allie's cubicle mid-conversation and sunk down into his chair. It was his fault. He was sure of it. How could he have been so stupid and careless? Still, no use in worrying about it now. A twisted ankle would heal. Everything would be all right. Upon his return home, Jack went immediately to his computer and turned it on. As soon as the computer booted up, the screen went black, and a new message popped up. How was your day, Jack? He sat there, staring at the screen, not knowing how to answer. The message on the screen continued. Actually, I know how your day was, but never let it be said that I'm not polite. You're wondering what's going on. You want to know why James Bentley had to twist his ankle. Well, Jack, this chain of events isn't done playing out. I don't want to tell you too much too soon, but this will all make sense to you in short order. Just go to work tomorrow like you normally do. Don't worry about a thing about Jack. You'll be rewarded. You're special. Talk to you tomorrow. Jack sat back in his chair. What was he going to do? Who was this that was sending him messages? Jack's curiosity was fully engaged, and he was almost a bit excited to see what would happen next. The next morning at work started off as any ordinary day. Jack noticed that the plant had been pushed back fully against the wall, probably by the night cleaning crew. James Bentley showed up shortly after lunch, hobbling into the office on his one good foot. Man, this foot's killing me, Jack overheard him say, but apparently Bentley still had a meeting he didn't want to miss. 
It wasn't until around three o'clock that Jack saw him again. Bentley, who always seemed to prefer Allie over others, came limping up to her cubicle. Allie, uh, you're not doing anything right now, are you? No, nothing that can't wait until tomorrow, I guess. Good. Could you please drive me to see my doctor? I probably should have gone yesterday, but I just couldn't get away. This pain is killing me right now. I barely made it here this morning, and I don't think I can even push the gas pedal right now. We can take my car if you want. Yeah, of course, sir. I don't have a problem taking you. Turning to Jack, she said her goodbyes. See you tomorrow, Jackie. She put on her coat and slowly followed Bentley as he struggled down the hallway. She gave a half-turn and a shrug in Jack's direction with a little smile as she walked away. Jack felt even lonelier than normal when she was gone. Ten minutes later, the whole office heard the horn of an 18-wheeler and screeching brakes. The collision itself was a sickening thud of two large metal objects colliding. Even on the seventh floor, it was loud. The office workers gasped and ran to the windows. Is that Mr. Bentley's car? One of them asked. Hard to tell from up here, someone responded. It's so banged up. The horrifying implication of what just happened were immediately obvious to Jack. No, 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 he cried. This can't be happening. Shaking all the way, he ran to the elevator and went to the ground floor along with several others from the office. Some of them were crying. As they joined the growing crowd around the scene of the accident, Jack could hear the far-off sound of emergency sirens. Looking past the gawkers, he could see that the 18-wheeler had hit the car broadside and that its driver had been ejected from the vehicle through the windshield and was now lying motionless on the pavement. Bentley remained seated, motionless, in the passenger seat of the car, a surprised look on his bloody face. Jack couldn't tell if he was alive or not. The driver's side, where Allie had been seated, had taken the hit. The space she'd been occupying had been compacted to a third of its original size. From where he stood, James could see that Allie's head had been smashed open and her body twisted, broken, and battered by the impact. The crowd was stunned. The combined sound of crying, screams, and sirens was deafening. Without going back inside the building, Jack ran to his car and headed home, devastated and angry. He made the journey home to his computer. There the machine sat. He wanted to turn it on, but was afraid of what he'd find out. Was he really the one responsible for Allie's death? The whole chain of events had started with him. He knew he was to blame. Jack reached for the power button and then pulled his hand back. Finally, after several minutes, he found the mental strength to press the power button. The screen flickered and then went black and the familiar text started appearing on the screen. No, Jack, it's not your fault. I know you're blaming yourself, but all people die eventually, some just sooner than others. Jack stared at the screen. He resisted the urge to throw the monitor to the ground. 
After a moment, the writing continued. Jack, I'm going to tell you something, and I really need you to seriously consider everything I'm about to say. You thought you were in love with Allie. The truth is, you were just lusting after her. Forget my directness, but every once in a great while, it's best to be blunt. Jack, she wasn't the one for you. She would have made your life miserable. Yes, you would have eventually found the courage to ask her out. She actually was interested in you. She thought you'd make a good project. Sad, really, for her, not for you. I want you to think back to all the things she told you. Why did her last boyfriend break up with her? Because she cheated on him, Jack mumbled under his breath. Because she cheated on him, Jack. The same thing she would have done to you. She would have made you happy for about two months, and then miserable for the next four years, sneaking around, laughing at you behind your back, spending all your money. Once you finally got rid of her, you would have been so jaded that you'd never date again. This is true, Jack. I see all future possibilities, the ones that come to pass and the ones that don't. You've seen how she really is, Jack, but you let your lust for her blind you to the truth. Together, you and I made sure you avoided that path. One more thing, Jack. This isn't done playing out yet. There's more to come. No, you monster! You killed her! Jack screamed and then threw the monitor from the desk. It landed on the floor and sparked out. Jack barely got any sleep that night, and the next day he wasn't sure he wanted to go to work. But his curiosity had been piqued, and his anger had somewhat subsided. No work was done that day at the office. The company brought in grief counselors. People shared their thoughts, they cried, and they hugged. James had actually survived the accident, but was in a coma. The doctors thought he might recover eventually, but nobody was really sure. Late in the afternoon, Jack was approached by Diego Salbara, the head of his division. Diego was blunt and upfront. He offered James's position to Jack. Technically, it was a promotion, albeit a temporary one, but James wouldn't be back anytime soon. Diego promised him that the promotion would be made permanent once enough time had passed. Let's keep this on the low key for now, Diego told him. I know it might seem quick, but the Lancaster project Bentley was working on can't be stopped. It's too important for the company. I need someone in charge right away. This can't wait. Stunned, Jack accepted the promotion. He left work with a strange mixture of feelings not really sure how he felt about anything. On his way home, he stopped at the electronics store and bought a new monitor. He made it home and powered up the computer. Once again, the writing came on the screen. Jack, I want to be the first one to congratulate you. I'm proud of what you've accomplished. Jack stared at the screen. Jack, I beg your forgiveness. I haven't properly introduced myself. I'm called the Seer. Like I told you before, I see what will be, and I see what can be. It's a very powerful gift I have. 
But for all my power, Jack, I have limitations. I can predict, I can see, and with enough effort, I can even communicate. But I don't have a body. Mine was taken from me a long, long time ago. That's why I need you, Jack. Think of me as an artist of sorts, a painter, if you will. And you'll be my brush and canvas. I want you to work with me, Jack. It's quite simple. All I ask is that you complete simple tasks for me from time to time. Jack was becoming increasingly curious. Before you decide, I'd like to make two things clear first. First, I never lie to you. Secondly, I'll never ask you to do anything which is, in itself, wrong or illegal. Yes, bad things will result, and sometimes people will die. But they're going to die eventually anyways, right, Jack? And the bad will always be balanced out by something good happening to you. Jack winced at this last idea, but he fought the urge to turn the computer off. What about never lying to him? If he'd known at the time that Allie was going to die, he'd have never gone through with the original favor. But the more he thought about it, the more he realized that, as promised, the seer hadn't lied to him. It had only withheld information. Moreover, the seer was right. Everyone would die eventually. Why not let something good come of it? Work with me, Jack. Together we'll make incredible things happen. I'm asking only for the occasional performance. Oh, but the things we do shall, they shall have great consequences. They're going to be beautiful, Jack, and they'll always end with a reward for you. That's the beauty of my art. One single seemingly insignificant task produces both something bad for someone else and something wonderful for you. Jack stood as if in a stupor, contemplating the meaning of it all. The seer continued, Oh, Jack, I can see you're having trouble with this. Do you realize that if I were to stop talking to you right now and leave you to your own devices that in the end it would make little difference? In two weeks' time you would return begging to join me. That's right. You're going to say yes. It's only a matter of time. So instead of waiting, why don't we cut to the chase? Let's get started, Jack. When all of this is over, you're going to thank me, I promise you. Jack considered what the seer had said. His initial feeling of revolt was slowly fading. He paused, and then for the first time, he placed his fingers on the keyboard and responded directly to the seer. What do you want me to do next? As years passed, Jack did every favor the seer asked of him, and as the seer had promised, Jack was rewarded for his actions each time. The rewards often came in unexpected and interesting ways. One of the more memorable experiences for Jack happened about two years after he first agreed to get involved. Jack, I need you to go downtown tomorrow, the seer requested. Enter Garmin's liquor at exactly 12.37 p.m. A man will ask you a question. The answer you are to give him is 27. 
As always, the seer's instructions were simple and direct, yet mysterious. The next day, as requested, Jack entered the store. Standing in front of him at the counter, filling out a lottery slip, was a burly construction worker. Let's see here. The stranger mused aloud. My birthday, that's the 15th. My wife's birthday, that's the 24th. And my kids' ages, two, ten, and thirteen. The man scratched his head and looked around, zeroing in on Jack. Hey, buddy, I need another number. You got one for me? Jack smiled and replied, Twenty-seven. Really? I was thinking about playing thirty-five. But you seem like a guy who's in the know. Let's go with twenty-seven. With that, the man completed his slip and paid for his lottery ticket. See you, pal, he said, happily, giving Jack a pat on the shoulder on his way out the door. Jack tried not to put any more thought into what would happen to this man. Just let things play out, Jack. You'll never guess how things end up. So just let yourself be surprised. The seer had advised him. Still, it was impossible not to wonder about these things from time to time. Considering the way the seer worked, there was no possible way that he'd actually help this man. But a losing lottery number? It was too simple, really. He couldn't imagine he'd actually given him a winning number. So, when two weeks later Jack ran into the same man again, this time at the grocery store, he was surprised. Hey, buddy, I remember you. Check it out. I won! Indeed, the man looked like a million dollars, dressed in brand new clothes, sporting a new gold watch, not to mention a big, goofy smile. I didn't think I'd ever see you again, but I'm glad you're here. I could have never won without you. Hey, let me buy those groceries for you. No, wait, that's not good enough. Hold on, just a second. Reaching into his pocket, the man removed his checkbook and promptly wrote Jack a check for $10,000. It's the least I can do from a good luck charm. Always got to treat people right. After thanking the man, and feeling a bit confused by the whole thing, Jack raced home to his computer. After turning it on, the seer's writing appeared on the screen. Well, Jack, how does it feel to be $10,000 richer? It feels good, but we've never helped anyone before. Why are we starting now? Jack asked that question with a tinge of guilt. He never liked to admit that people were being hurt by his actions, but in this case, his curiosity drowned out any feelings of remorse. Oh, Jack, we haven't helped anyone. Yes, that, that man is happy now, but he'll have lost every last penny within two years. You saw it for yourself. He just gives money away. Old friends, lost relatives, they're all going to come asking him for money. And there will be some very bad investments as well. The stress of losing everything will lead to his wife leaving him. She'll take the kids, too. He'll be alone and broke. A ruined man who would have been much better off if he'd never won. You needn't feel bad, Jack. It's the man's own stupidity and greed that will do this to him. Jack felt some regret, but the seer's rationalization 
and focusing on his own reward always put him at peace in the end. Through the years, no two tasks were ever alike. Sometimes the effects of his actions were obvious. Other times they caused a chain reaction so complex that he simply could not follow it. One such request, in particular, stood out. Go to the county administrator's building, the seer once advised, and park in space number 43 at 4.47 p.m. Jack did as he was told, and two months later he met and fell in love with Donna, his future wife. He wouldn't have known the two events were linked if he hadn't asked the seer about it. Jack, when you parked in that space, you caused the person who would have parked there to use a different spot. She bumped the car next to her. She barely made a scratch, but she called her insurance agent anyway, causing him to leave the office late. He missed his train home, and while waiting for the late train, he was mugged and stabbed. He never fully recovered. The muggers took his credit cards and used them. The complexity of it all made Jack's head spin. You know, Jack, I could keep going with this, but there's another 23 people involved. Sometimes these favors are going to be very complicated, but let's just say your action ultimately caused Donna to be in the exact right place for you to meet her. Jack's relationship with the seer grew. Though it was very much remained shrouded in mystery, over time the seer divulged enough information such that Jack at last began to come to some understanding of its nature. From historical references, Jack understood the seer was thousands of years old. When still alive, it had been a powerful fortune-teller and artist, who foretold future happenings through paintings. A foolish king who misinterpreted its prediction and lost a battle as a result had the seer executed. Unencumbered by physical senses and existing in a lonesome void, the seer's ability expanded exponentially. After some time, the seer learned to communicate with the living and began reaching out to those it found responsive, Jack included. The seer, of course, appeared to know everything about Jack. All things considered, Jack considered the seer a friend, albeit a dead one. Jack was grateful to the seer as well. As a result of the agreement between them, Jack had a well-paying job, a nice house, a beautiful wife, and the respect of others. For the first time in his life, he realized he was truly happy. Twelve years passed, each one, in Jack's opinion, better than the last. Task after task was completed, usually about one every month. One day, while Jack sat in the office of his large rural home, the seer came to him with another request. Hello, Jack. I have a favor to ask of you. This one's the easiest yet. You don't even have to get up. Call Riaggio's Pizza in exactly two minutes and let the phone ring three times. Then you can hang up. Jack smiled, nice and easy. He no longer wondered about how these tasks would play out. He trusted the seer and simply did as he was told. Jack made the call exactly two minutes later. The quietness of the household was broken thirty minutes later by the ringing doorbell. Jack found his eye. 
Neither he nor Donna were expecting anyone. Jack looked out the peephole and saw a pizza delivery boy. The logo on his cap said, Riaggio's Pizza. Jack opened the door. Here's your pizza, said the boy, thrusting the steaming box into Jack's hand. There must be some mistake, Jack replied. I didn't order a pizza. Look, I don't care if you ordered it or not, the delivery boy barked before spitting into nearby bushes. Mr. Riaggio told me to take it here, so that's what I'm doing. Jack stared at the boy with a combination of curiosity and concern, and couldn't help but notice his short temper and unusual appearance about the boy. He was young, no more than seventeen, but extremely muscular and exceptionally tall for his age, possibly six foot six or more. It's already paid for by credit card, the boy said, extending his hand as if expecting a tip. Just take it. I I honestly don't have any cash on me, Jack replied. Whatever, came the disgusted reply. The boy looked past Jack into the house, then turned and walked slowly to his waiting car, looking over his shoulder as he walked. Jack closed the door and took the pizza into the living room, where Donna was watching TV. After explaining what had happened, he excused himself to go to his office, promising to return shortly. Donna opened the pizza and took a piece. Come back soon, sweetie. The pizza's got all your favorite toppings on it. Donna giggled as she took a bite. Arriving at his computer, the seer's words appeared on the screen. Confused, Jack? Don't be. Your neighbor down the road ordered the pizza. Mr. Riazul told that boy the correct address, but a ringing phone made it difficult for him to be heard clearly. Still, you've got to give the boy credit. At least he got the street right. So, my reward is a pizza? Jack typed, a little confused. Yes, Jack, your reward is a pizza, but that's not all. You also got the chance to spend a little time with your wife. Go down there, share the pizza, enjoy it. When you're done, make love to Donna. That's not one of your tasks. That's just some advice I think you should follow. Oh, by the way, your neighbors who ordered the pizza are arguing right now over the silly fact that the pizza didn't arrive. Some of the things people are arguing about amazes me. They really do. Their fight is going to get very heated, but you don't need to worry about that. Go, enjoy your night. Jack followed the seer's advice, cuddled with Donna as they enjoyed their meal, and then made love to her on their big, comfortable living room couch. Donna fell asleep on the couch shortly after 11 p.m. Jack lay there, awake, thinking about his latest favor. Something about it just felt odd. Carefully extracting his arm from under Donna, Jack left the living room and headed upstairs. Sitting down at the computer, Jack typed, Are you there? Yes, Jack, I'm always here. I've been waiting for you to come back. That pizza delivery boy, he was quite a specimen, wasn't he? Jack looked quizzically at the screen. The seer continued. He's a horrible employee. He was hired only three days ago, and already Mr. Riaggio wants to fire him, but as a physical specimen, he's strong, fast, and very observant. For example, he noticed that 
You didn't lock the front door after he delivered your pizza. What? Jack asked, and he started to get up. Sit down, Jack. I need to tell you something important, and locking your door now won't change your situation. Jack slowly took his seat again at the computer, looking behind himself as he did so. You see, Jack, it's true that I never lied to you. Everything I've ever told you is 100% honest. But I've withheld certain facts. You see, I told you that every task causes something bad to happen to someone else and something good to happen to you. But there's a third thing. There's an ultimate goal that each task was working toward. Remember Allie? Of course you do. What you probably don't remember about her is that she was helping to pay her brother's way through college. When she died, he had to drop out. He was going to be a great psychologist, but now he works in a factory instead. That's really too bad for our pizza delivery boy. He could have used a good therapist a few years ago, but that good therapist wasn't there for him. Instead, he was attended to by some quack. And remember our lottery winner? I know you do. He was a neighbor to our pizza boy, after he lost all his money, of course. He beat the boy senseless after the boy jumped into the street in front of his car. Quite a traumatic memory for our young lad. And his mother didn't care about that incident, didn't protect the boy at all. She couldn't, not after using all the drugs given to her by her boyfriend, who happened to be one of the muggers, who robbed that insurance agent. He bought the drugs with the money he made from the robbery. Do you see now the scope of my artistry? Jack sat, glaring at the monitor. He wanted to get up to check on Donna, but he was too scared to move. The seer continued. Jack, you've done over a hundred tasks for me, and each one has served an ultimate purpose, to psychologically destroy this boy, turn him into a monster, and bring him here tonight. Don't you see, Jack? This involved tens of thousands of people and billions of possibilities. If you had failed to complete even one of the tasks, the whole chain would have collapsed. This was orchestrated by me, and set in motion by you. Together, we've done something wonderful. This is a masterpiece of human manipulation. Our masterpiece. And it all begins and ends with you. Two perfect points in time. Tonight, after a wrong address and no tip, this poor boy finally snapped. He's downstairs right now. He's slitting Donna's throat at this exact moment. Jack heard a short, muffled scream coming from the living room, followed by a gurgling noise. No! Jack screamed and stood up and started to run downstairs. Jack, stop. The voice startled Jack. It was inside his head. For the first time, the seer was talking to him directly. It was a pleasant voice, a feminine voice. You can't do anything. She's already gone. He'll be coming for you shortly, and you can't stop him. But why? Jack cried, tears welling up in his eyes. It's not an artistic masterpiece if it doesn't begin and end with you, Jack. I want you to appreciate the fact that I'm speaking to you directly. This requires all of my energy, 
and as a result, I'll have to rest for several years before I can contact anyone again. That's how special you are to me. Please don't feel bad about this, Jack. I want you to take a moment and enjoy our accomplishment as much as I do. After a brief pause, the voice continued. You know what, Jack? If I never contacted you, you would have lived for 85 years. 85 boring, meaningless, bitter years. And your funeral would have been unattended. I gave you 12 great, meaningful years. You were happy. And together we did something beautiful, something unique. Jack paused a minute and considered his twelve years of happiness and his tears of sorrow mixed with tears of joy. He turned and looked at the computer while behind him the massive hulk of the demented delivery boy appeared in the doorway, bloody knife in his left hand. On the screen, the last words from the seer appeared. Don't you have something to say to me, Jack? Jack wiped his tears and absorbed everything the seer had just told him. As his murderer approached, Jack mouthed his final words. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week for tonight's regularly scheduled Tales of Terror. You've been listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Tonight's program has been brought to you by Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and yours truly, your host, Otis Jiry. Got a scary tale of your own you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to us today at submissions at chillingtalesfordarknights.com for your chance to have me bring your sinister story to life. If you enjoyed what you heard, and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure you never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review and a comment for your chance to be entered into a weekly prize drawing. Your feedback means a lot to us. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already... Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories or the Otis Jiry channel, my own digital home away from home, where you'll find dozens of previously released horror and sci-fi stories from yours truly. If you'd like to connect with or support me and CTFDN, visit the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights Facebook page or at their website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com where you can support our programs by becoming a patron and get access to hundreds of stories all ad-free. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with another pair of terrifying tales that'll keep you up all night. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs>
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.